Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So we turn our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, where we are seated in heavenly places, in the presence of our Father in heaven, washed by the blood of Jesus, sanctified, holy people, your sons and daughters, all things have passed away, and all these things have become new, and all of things are of you. We stand in this place this morning, alive, breathing, rejoicing in you because you have redeemed us to yourself, Lord Jesus, by your blood. We thank you for your love that came to us, Father God, through Jesus, that we can have an audience with you tomorrow, this morning in him, in heavenly places. Our bodies on here on earth, worshiping you on earth as it is in heaven. But our audience is with you and the redeemed and the angels and the elders. And we worship on earth with the host of heaven, with everything that you created, rejoicing in your salvation, rejoicing that we have the honor of being yours. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's stand and sing to him as I look. I see your grace overflowing, Lord Jesus. It says, when you stand in the blood of Jesus, we have redemption, and not only that. It says, come boldly before the throne of grace so you can obtain mercy and find help in time of need. Many of us might need help, not in the church here. When we go home, there are things waiting us, there are situations we are facing at work, at home, wherever. This is the place where you can obtain his grace and help in time of need. Hallelujah. We sing to you, Lord. You can worship, rejoice. As I look to you, I see the grace overflowing as I see your face, I feel your love. As I'm singing your praise, I hear you singing with me more. Struggling, you will be my life. 
Jesus Christ is the name above all names. Our risen King. Risen King, we love to bring you praise. Jesus reigns, all glory to your name, all power to your name, forever Jesus reigns. Good name. 
that when you call on your name, you are answered. And you're invading our lives as we yield to you with your presence from day to day. Through your word, you're giving us revelation and insight. Through every situation of our life, giving us breakthrough. Because we call them in your name and you answer us all the time. You are a God who answers. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your death. You remember why you died. You remember why your blood was shed. You stand here in glory in what you have accomplished. Jesus, your sacrifice is complete, lacking nothing. It's done once and for all, for all humanity. And we rejoice in it. Thank you, Jesus, for the beautiful is the blood.
through Christ Jesus and as the angel and redeemed fall, fall down and worship before you on earth here our hearts and lives bow before you glorifying you on this earth declaring your victory and the sacrifice that cost you your son father God so we can have an audience with you to live on earth in this place in a Christ Jesus overcomers in every way you share before and later see you and spend eternity with you. We give you honor. A thousand generations falling down in worship to sing the song of ages to the Lamb. And all who've gone before us and all who will believe We'll sing the song of ages to the Lamb. A thousand generations. A thousand generations. Falling down in worship. To sing the song of ages to the Lamb. And all who've gone before us. And all who will believe. We'll sing the song of ages to the land. Your name is the highest. Your name is the greatest. Your name stand above them all. 
dominions, all powers and positions, your name, stand above them all, and the angels cry, holy, all creation cries, holy, you are lifted
We're going to just sing just that chorus again. But before we do, this comes to my mind. Isaiah chapter 6 where it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, I believe there is something prophetic in there. You know, it says, without holiness, no man shall see God. And then in another place, it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I believe that there is a place that we are to live in as believers. And it is a place wherein self, that I in me, gets off of the throne and he gets on the throne. Where we live in a place wherein it is no longer I that live, but it's Christ that liveth in me. The old me, the old my, the old person, that, that, that self-righteous person, that person, that attention-seeking person, that, that person is dead. That person has no authority in my life. I'm a new creation. I'm created in his image. My life is, is for him. I yield to him. I submit to him. I abide in him. That in that place of submission, in that place of humility, in that place of holiness, in that place of the purity of heart, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year and in the time as we come into that place, there is something that happens with our spiritual eyes that become open so that we are able to see God, so that we are able to see him high and lifted up. So let us sing this chorus again. And as we do and as we see him high and lifted up, let it be a cry from your heart. Not only in seeing him, but let it be a cry from your heart that you will come into this place of surrender, this place of yieldedness, this place of abandonment to his will. Let us sing it again. Amen. If you've been forgiven. Praise you, Lord. If you've been redeemed, sing the song forever to the Lamb. Praise you, Jesus. If you walk in dark freedom, if you walk in freedom, if you bear his name, hallelujah. Sing the song forever. Consecrate your life. Sing forever to the Lamb. Sing the song.
are holy, there is none like you. You are perfect in all your ways. None can be compared to you. And we are so thankful that you have brought us to yourself. You have washed us, you have cleansed us from every sin, from everything that would be a violation. And you have made us holy, even as you are holy. By the application of your blood to our lives, you have made us as holy as you are. So that we can come into the holiest of holies. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the veil of your flesh, what you did in your body when you hung up on that cross. And so we just bless you, we praise you, we worship you. We thank you for this privilege to be called the children of God, the sons of God. We thank you for this privilege that we are born of your spirit. We are born of your word. We are partakers of your divine nature. You have made us even as you are. So that today, here we are. Not in the misery of our humanity, but rather, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. So, Father, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. And we bless your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let your train, let your glory fill this temple. Let your glory fill the airwaves. Let your glory be on every 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 platform where this message goes let that glory lord god rest upon us rest upon your people in jesus name amen praise the lord let's have a seat praise god forevermore thank you lord thank you lord thank god for your patience amen hallelujah blessed be the name of the lord the lord is good and his mercy endures forever hallelujah now we're going to go straight to the word and and uh, we're going to receive the offering later on. Um, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God is good and his mercy endures forever. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your precious Holy Spirit that teaches us and leads us and guides us into all truth. Amen. That opens up our understanding so that we can get a hold of truth, gives us grace so that we can be doers of what we hear today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm teaching a message here tonight. tonight. <laughs> Glory to God, depending on what part of the world you're in. <laughs> but I'm teaching a message here that I believe will bless you, will help you. And more than anything else, God wants you to function like him. God wants you. God, want, God has given to every one of us a portion of his own faith. And he wants us to know that. But he's given it to us for a reason. So that we can function like him. So that we can function with our faith the way he functions with his faith. And when we can do so, the scripture says, without faith, you cannot please God. But which also means that with faith, you can please God. Amen? We cannot please a holy, perfect God just based on our goodness. No, but he's given us faith. So let's talk about, about that today. But today, the specific title and subject is Six Keys. Six. Six Keys to make your faith work like God's faith. God has given you a portion of his faith. What are the six keys to make your faith work like God's faith? All right, let's get going. All right. Now, just for a moment, just, just let your imagination go for a moment. 
What if you can make your faith work on your behalf the same way God makes his faith work on his behalf? Now, we're going to come to it, but he's given you a portion of his faith. What if you can make your faith that he has given you work for you the same way his faith works for him? What would your life look like? God's faith created the heavens and the earth. God's faith created those things that are seen were made from the things that are not seen. Everything that is seen, God created it with his faith. Jesus demonstrated the faith of God when he walked on this earth in a number of things that he did. One of those things was he cursed the fig tree. And he said, no man eat fruit from you hereafter forever. And within 24 hours, that fig tree began to die, and that fig tree died. Now, the scripture says that God has given unto us that same kind of faith. That faith that Jesus demonstrated. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, have faith in God. A more accurate translation is have the God kind of faith. Have the God kind of faith. Now, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, in fact, let me just... Um, let me read that. Matthew chapter 21, verse 21 and 22. Say, I have God's faith. A portion of God's faith. Now, in Matthew chapter 21, verse 21 and 22, Jesus said, referring to that same fig tree incident, Jesus said to the disciples, and surely I say to you, if, if you have faith and do not doubt. Now, by the way, I know last week we talked about it. And I can't repeat it. But if can have several, have four different meanings. All right? But the specific meaning in this if is since. Amen? In other words, since you do have faith, if you, since you have faith, that faith that you have, if you would have it and not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but also... If you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you desire, whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will have. This is what this faith that God has given unto you is capable of doing. And if your faith can work the way God's faith works, what would happen? What would your life look like? What would your future look like? Jesus cursed the fig tree. And that same faith that he used to curse the fig tree and get the results, that same faith is deposited in your heart, in my heart. That is the same faith that we can use to curse cancer and command it to die and get out of our bodies. But we got to know there are some principles, there are some keys you got to have to be able to do that, to make your faith work the way God's faith works. But let me say this in starting. God has not only given you his faith, but he's given you his faith. He's given you faith that faith would be your servant. Faith would be your servant. In other words, God has given you faith to serve you. In other words, God says, here, I'm going to give you a portion of my faith. I'm going to give you faith. Now let that faith serve you. Whatever you need to get done, Release the servant, let him go, and let him get the job done. Because he is capable of getting it done. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17, 
uh, verse 5 to 10. Just to, just to emphasize that point that faith is, God has given you faith as a servant. Amen? Luke chapter 17, reading from verse 5. Jesus said, and the apostles asked him, Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, it's not that I need to increase your faith. That's not an issue. But if you have faith as a mustard seed, which is a tiny little seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the seed. And it, that mustard, that, must, that mulberry, sorry, that mulberry tree shall obey you. That mulberry tree that is 60 feet high, that has 60 feet of root into the ground, thus with your little mustard seed faith, if you say to it, be uprooted, be cast into the sea, that mulberry tree will be uprooted and will be cast into the sea. It will obey you. And if, and then he goes on to say, and which of you having a servant, and so he refers now to faith as a servant, if you have a servant plowing or tending sheep, Will you say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? No. But while he is not, but, but, but will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper. Gird yourself. Serve me till I have eaten and till I have drunken. And then afterwards, you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because, because he did the things that were commanded him? In other words, he did what he was supposed to do. That was his job as a servant. I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all of those things, etc., etc. So here is the point. The point is, God has given you faith, and that faith has the capacity to uproot a mulberry tree, to move the mountains in your life, and that faith, when it is released, has the capacity to do these things. And God says, I've given you that faith as a, as a servant to serve you. To serve you, whether it be that you need, whether it be in the financial arena, whether it be in the healing arena, whether it be in the area of mental health, whether it be in your relationships, no matter what area we're talking about, whether it be concerning any of the promises of God. He says, I've given you that faith so as to serve you and get you the right results. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 to 10, there is a story of the, <clears throat> the centurion whose servant was ill, whose servant was sick, and the centurion came and asked Jesus and said, Jesus, you know, um, heal, my, heal my servant. And Jesus says, I'm going to come to your house and heal the servant, and heal your servant. The centurion says, you don't have to come to my house. You can stay right here, and you can speak the word, right? And my servant will be made well. And he, and he, said, he said to Jesus, look, I understand authority. I have servants on. I have servants under me, and I say to this one, "Do this," and I say to that one, "Do that," and, and they obey me. And so, so he said to Jesus, "You don't have to come to my house, but you have got faith, and faith is your servant that will do whatever you tell it to do. What you got to do is just stand right here and speak the word, and my servant will be made well." And Jesus says, "Wow." I have not seen such great faith. Why was this man's faith great? This man's faith was great because, number one, he understood authority. Number two, his faith was great because he also understood that faith, that servant of faith, is released by words. But in that, he was also saying, he was also indicating his understanding that faith 
is a servant. Uh, that's what I want to impress upon you right now. That God has given you faith and it is a servant. And you must not have your servant just sleeping and doing nothing. Amen? Now you ought to feed your servant. Right? Don't starve your servant. That's why you need to feed your word, feed your faith on the word of God. Spend time in the word of God. And if you don't want your servant muscles to seize up. So you want to keep your foot. You, you need a servant to exercise. Amen. When you finish doing this, let him do something else and do something else. When you finish in the healing area, put him to work in the financial area. Put him to work in this other area and in that other area. Keep your servant busy, but also feed your servant. Say, faith is my servant. God has given faith to me as a gift, and it is my servant. Now, you need to know that, okay? Now, let's go back to the question. What if you can make your faith work on your behalf the way God's faith works on his behalf? What would your life look like? What would your future look like? Tests and trials are going to come. Once you're living on this earth, you're going to have tests. You're going to have trials. You're going to have challenges. There is no escape from it. Jesus says in this world, you're going to have tribulation. He said in, in, in Peter, don't count it something strange or weird when you have something, when you have some tests and trials and certain things happen with you in your life. Don't think that it is unique to you. It is common to all men. These things happen once you're here. But he also says that he knows how to deliver you out of every test, every trial, every affliction. And the way he delivers you is, number one, he has given you faith. And when you use your faith, your faith will connect with his deliverance, with his grace, with his provision, with his help, whatever is necessary to turn that situation around. Amen? So the point of the matter is, yes, test trials will happen. But with faith, if you can get your faith to work the way God's faith works, no matter what comes your way, you are going to come through triumphant. You are going to be victorious. You are going to be more than a conqueror. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Amen? But you got to get your faith to work the way God's faith works. The problem with believers is not that they don't have faith. The problem is they don't know how to use their faith and they don't know how to make their faith work for them the way God's faith works for them. Some don't know they have faith. Some are begging and pleading and praying and asking God to give them faith. Which really, I don't mean to be rude, but to ask God to give you something that you already have is absurd. I mean, can you I, can I, can I imagine here, I'm asking my wife, could you please pass me my Bible? Could you give me my Bible? Could you give me, come on, give me my Bible. I need my Bible. It's kind of absurd because I have it. Well, God has given you faith. So there are six keys that you need to get a hold of in order to make your faith work like God. And key number one is this, is that you, is that, is that first of all, should I go there first? Where should I go? Ha, ha, ha. Yes, I'll start here. Key number one is you need to know that you have enough faith. Say, I have enough faith. Now, there was a full teaching on that last week. I'm not going to go there, but I'm just going to inject some things just in an in abbreviated form. You need to know that you have faith no matter what situation you face. No matter if you're in the middle of the sea. 
No matter what storms are raging in your life, you need to know that you have enough faith. Jesus said in Matthew 17 verse 20 that if you have faith as a mustard seed, just a tiny little bit of faith, not only will you say, as he said in, in, in um, Luke, that you can cause this mulberry tree to be uprooted, but you can also cause this mountain to move. Whatever the mountains in your life are, faith can move it. And so Jesus went on to say that just with that little mustard seed faith, by using it correctly, nothing will be impossible to you. The mountain will not be able to stop your faith. The mulberry tree will not be able to stop your faith. The sickness or the disease will not be able to stop your faith. Now the problem is we don't believe that. We, we walk around and we talk about the common cold. And we figure, well, it's common. Well, what is going to be if you call it common? Amen? It must not be common to you. And I don't mean to be unkind, but I'm trying to make a point. The point of the, of the matter is you need to get a hold of this fact that you have enough faith. And so that you could make that adjustment in your thinking that I have enough faith. Now how do I use it? How do I make my faith work like God? Well, it begins by knowing that you do have enough faith. The greatest miracle that you have ever had in your life as a believer is when you got born again. Think about it. You, were, you, were, you, were, you had a seed and the nature of selfishness and you had a seed and the nature of the devil. You get born again and God gives you a new nature. The love of God. You were in the kingdom of darkness. God translated you out of, uh, out of that kingdom of darkness. That realm that the devil rules in and move you into the kingdom of his dear son. All things have passed away. Those human identities and limitations are gone. All things have become new and you are a brand new creation. Your faith, your faith did that. Your faith gave you the greatest miracle which is the new birth. Now let me break that down a little bit more just so that you can see how dynamic this little tiny mustard seed faith that you have is and what a great miracle it has already accomplished. Which is to say that any other situation, any other miracle or need or whatever it is that you can ever face, none of it is going to be bigger or, this, or require more faith than you've already used. No, none of it will be a bigger miracle than a miracle you've already obtained in the new birth. When you were born again, listen, get a hold of this. You were able to literally, literally tap into what God had done for you and with you when Jesus went to the cross. Can you imagine that? When Jesus went to the cross, there were several things that happened. There were eight things that happened pertaining to you. When Jesus went to the cross, you were crucified with him. You were buried with him. You were resurrected with him. You ascended with him. You were washed by his blood. You now have his name. You have his life and the promises of God. When you got born again, your faith connected to everything that God had done for you in Christ. It's like everything God did for you in Christ was sitting here in the realm of the spirit. Crucified with him, buried with him, resurrected with him, all your sins forgiven, having the power and authority in the name of Jesus, functioning from the place of ascension, having all the promises of God as your... All of this stuff was sitting there, just waiting for you. It was there. The grace of God had provided it. But then when you accept, when you say, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and Lord, your faith reached out and it got a hold of it all. And now all of that becomes you. 
All of that comes into your life. And when you receive Jesus with him, you also receive all things. What did that? Your faith did that. Your faith did that. Your faith tapped in to what God had already done. And that, in a way, is a precursor to the rest of all the operations of faith. Because at the end of the day, whatever this situation you could ever face in your life, God has already got the provision. The healing has already been done. The need has already been met. It's already there. It's waiting in your spiritual bank account. But your faith has to go and grab it. That's what you did when you got born again. Whether you know it or not. Well, that's exactly what you need to do in all the affairs of life. What am I saying though? The point I'm making is being born again was the biggest miracle you can ever have. Anything else, that you could, any miracle that you could ever need is lesser than the one that you already have. The point is, if you had enough faith for that, then you've got enough faith for anything you could ever face. Are you with me? Got it? Say, I got it. All right. <laughs> say, I got enough faith. But then again, you say, well, but again, and I'm saying this for the benefit of those that might be hearing it for the first time online and so on. They might, someone might be thinking, but, but then I heard, but then I remember Jesus said to Peter, oh, you of little faith. And then in another case, I heard, I heard him say, what about this centurion? He had great faith. And, and where is your faith? And, and Abraham grew strong in faith. How, how could this be? And you're telling me that all I need is a tiny little bit, tiny, tiny little mustard seed faith, and that's more than enough. How could you be telling me that? And then Jesus said to Peter, you have such little faith. Well, first of all, in every one of those cases, and I do mean everyone, meaning if there is one exception to what I'm about to say, then it means I'm in error. Every situation, every situation in the Gospels or anywhere in the epistles or in the book of Acts where it seemed to be talking about the size of one faith, it is not talking about the size of faith. It is talking about either A, the, the, the quality of your faith, or B, the correct operation of your faith. When Jesus said to Peter, O ye of little faith, what, was, what happened was that Peter was doing fine. His faith, he was walking on water with his faith. Think about it. I mean, I don't, I mean that sounds pretty good to me. Walking on water with his faith. Jesus was in, in a storm and, 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 and Peter says, if it's you bid me come, Peter stepped out of the boat and was walking on water. But then as he was walking on the water, he turned around and he saw the size of the waves and he heard the howling wind and his heart, fear came into his heart and now he began to doubt. <laughs> and then what happened? He began to sink. And Jesus grabbed him, rescued him, got him in the boat. And then Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Nothing was wrong. Jesus was not saying you have little faith in terms of tiny faith. Jesus was saying, why did your faith last for such a short duration? You know, I'll see you in a little while. What does that mean? I'm not going to be gone for too long. Where is your, so you say, um, where, where, and Jesus says, um, oh, ye of little faith, why did you quit? Why did you give up? Why did you just stay, stay in faith? But you allow that fear to get into your heart and create the doubt. And then what happened is your pure faith got polluted. It got contaminated. 
So what happened? Was it because he didn't have enough faith? No. It was because his faith became polluted. Say, I've got enough faith. All right. And we could talk about all the other cases, but I'm not going to do so. The guy with great faith, the centurion, what was great about his faith? Was it about the size? No. It was about the quality, and it was the way he functioned in his faith. He understood authority. He understood how faith is released. He worked. He had compassion for his servant. It wasn't about the quality, and it was the operation, and, and we can, again, if you want to get some more insight, go back and listen to last week's message, you have enough faith. Now move your mountains, all right? You can check it out on YouTube, Facebook, or someplace. All right, but now, that first point, you have enough faith, brings us to the second point, that even though you have enough faith, if you allow your faith to be polluted, to be corrupted, then your faith will not work the way God's faith works. When Peter's eyes was on Jesus, when he was looking at the word, when he, was, when, he, when he was not listening to the voice of the circumstances and the boisterous wind and looking at the waves and looking at the symptoms, when he was not, but when his eyes was on the word, his faith was operating just like Jesus' faith and he was walking on water. But what happened? He began to sink when his faith became corrupted. So the second thing that is necessary for your faith to operate like God's faith is, you ha- is, is, is the fact that you must not allow your faith to become corrupted. You must not allow your faith to become corrupted. In other words, then, you need to keep your faith pure. Say pure. All right. Pure, authentic faith. Now, let me, let, let me, let me, let me say this. When you were born again, God gave you a measure of his own faith. The faith that God gave you is a portion of his own faith. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, you were saved by grace through faith. It is a gift. That faith that God has deposited a measure of his own faith, Romans 12 verse 3, into your spirit. In fact, it even says that that faith in your spirit is a fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5.22. Now, I'm aware that some other translations call it faithful. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness. The old King James calls it faith, and I believe it is. The same way the love of God is in your heart. Is the love of God in your heart when you're born again? Where did it come from? It's the love of God. Is the joy of the Lord? Where does it come from? It's the joy of the Lord. The peace is the peace of God. My peace I leave with you. Well, the faith is also God's faith. It is also God's faith. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is the reason why it will say even in, in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 13 that we have received the same spirit of faith. Not a different one. In 2 Peter 1 verse 1, it says you have received like precious faith. Like precious faith. The same kind of faith. The same quality of faith. The same faith that God has. If this is God's faith, and and he took a piece off, and he gave it to you, is this the same quality as this? Does it have the same molecular structure, so to speak? Well, God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. 
you have got a portion of God's faith deposited in your spirit. In fact, everything in your born again spirit is of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 and verse 18 says, If any man is in Christ, all things have passed away and behold, all things have become new and all things are of God. Everything in your born again spirit is of God. Everything, the love of God in your born again spirit is the love of God. The joy of the Lord is embodied. The peace of God, the faith, righteousness, it is the righteousness of God. Everything in your born again spirit is of God. And in fact, Jesus himself is the essence of everything in your spirit. That's why it would say things like Christ is made unto you wisdom. Colossians 3 verse 11 says, Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. Well, all is made up of each. Does that make sense? <laughs> Isn't all each plus 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 each equal all. All right? So if Christ is all in all, then Christ is each and everything inside of the all. So Christ is each and everything. Christ is the love. Christ is the peace. Christ is the joy. Christ is the strength. And we can come up with piles of scripture. But you need to know that. Because you see, quite often the reason for our failure is because we see ourselves in the identity of our humanity and the person that we were. What happened in the past? Our failures, our experiences, be they positive or negative. And we see ourselves based on, on the world's standards rather than seeing yourself in the mirror of the word of God and see what's on the inside here in your spirit. And now the scripture is going to say in Philemon verse 6 that the communication of your faith becomes effective when you acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ. What does that mean? Philemon 6 is saying your faith will work. It will produce. And I can add it will work like God's faith when you acknowledge Every good thing that is in you in Christ. When you acknowledge, I've got the righteousness of God in my spirit. I've got the love of God in my spirit. I am holy just like God is holy. The glory that God has, Jesus has given it to me. I've got that glory. I've got these treasures in earth and vessels. I've got the joy of the Lord as my strength. Jesus is my wisdom. So that when you have problems and you deal with challenges, you are not coming from where you are in the natural. You walk by faith and not by sight. You walk by faith, not by the senses. You walk by faith, not by reasoning and logic and what it looks like and what it feels like. So when you are faced with symptoms, instead of letting those symptoms overwhelm you, you're going to say, no, 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 no. What do I have on the inside of me? The same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of me. Christ is made unto me health. He is made unto to me redemption. By his stripes I am healed. And then you can see how it is in your spirit and then you can change what it is in the natural. You understand that? This is how this stuff works. We're talking about what? Making your faith work like God's faith. So, um, a couple of things, and then it, it, it goes further. It even says the life you now live, you live it by the faith of the Son of God. Galatians 2 verse 20. Now, I kind of circled around a little bit, but really, what I, what I, let me bring some order to what I was just saying. Number one, you need to know that you have enough faith. Number two, which is what I end up talking about. Number two, you need to know that you have the same kind of faith as God. You need to know you've got the same quality of faith that God has. Like precious faith. The same kind of faith. 
Say I have God. Say I have the God kind of faith. So you need to know that. All right? You have enough faith and you have the God kind of faith that is precious, that is pure, that is perfect. And so now, number three, right? Now you need to keep your pure faith pure. Say, I need to keep my pure faith pure. That means I've got to keep the pollutants out. You cannot allow, like Peter, to let fear, to let doubt, to let unbelief come in and corrupt your faith. If your faith becomes corrupted, then it's not going to work like God's faith. Now, there are several things that can pollute your faith. I've already mentioned some of them. Doubt, fear, unbelief. And quite frankly, well, let's just stick to that first. There's a number of things that can corrupt, pollute your faith. Can you imagine here we have some nice clean water? But if I start taking some dust and some, some dirt and start sprinkling it in here, I mean, would you, would you, would you like a drink? <laughs> are you with me? Why? But, but this water was nice and clean and pure. But then it got corrupted. It got polluted. Well, the faith in your spirit is just like God's faith. It is pure. And you've got enough of it. But you must not allow it to become corrupted by doubt, by unbelief, by fear. Which means you're going to have to know how to keep the dust out. You're going to have to know how to keep the doubt out. You're going to have to know how to keep the, the unbelief and the fear out. Amen? Okay. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, in fact, um, so we talked about the Peter situation. He allowed fear. He allowed the fear to provoke, to induce doubt. You know, when he saw, when he saw the waves and he heard the boisterous wind. That is the problem with symptoms. When you look at the symptoms, when you feel that pain, I thought I was healed. <laughs> what happened? Those symptoms create fear. Oh, what is that? Oh, man, I better go check the doctor. Oh, that pain. Is it cancer? What is that lump? And, and, and that symptoms create fear. And then that fear begins to call, cause this doubt. That's what happened with Peter. But you got to keep the fear out. You got to keep the doubt out. Now, the disciples in, 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 in Luke chapter, um, in, in Matthew chapter 17, they ran into a situation where there was this man whose son was deaf and dumb. You could read it. And they could not get the boy delivered. And they were, they were, they wondered like, what could we get the boy delivered? Now, back in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus had sent them out two by two and anointed them and, and, and so on and so forth, they went about and according to Luke 10 verse 17, we can't turn to it for the sake of time. But the scripture says, they, Jesus, they came back to Jesus all excited. They said, Jesus, Jesus, guess what? All the demons are obeying us. Man, we lay hands on the sick and they recover. All miracles are happening. The demons are obeying us. And Jesus says, okay, calm down, guys. Don't, you know, don't get too excited, right? Be, be excited about the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you're going to make it to heaven, all right? But as for the devil, you having authority over him, I saw him like lightning fall into the ground. Right? But the point is, they were getting great results. Great results. But then here they come. They try to cast this, this demon out of this boy that was demon-possessed. And the devil was, 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 was tormenting that little boy's life. The devil would throw the boy in the, in, 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 in the pool, maybe, and try to drown him. The devil would try to set him afire. And, and the boy came and said, help. The boy's father come and said, come help us. And they couldn't help the boy. 
Jesus, now many times if you leave this story there, they couldn't get the boy delivered. You might walk off and think, well, there are some times where it just is not God's will to heal. Maybe sometimes it's not God's will to, for, for people to be delivered. And maybe that boy, it was ordained of God that this boy should stay demon-possessed and sick until all the days of his life. Based on the fact that the disciples couldn't get results. But then Jesus came. And Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And Jesus got the boy delivered. The mere fact that Jesus got the boy delivered means that Jesus got results where the disciples could not get results. Does that mean it was the will? That means it was the will of God. They just didn't know how to get it done. Are you with me? Now, but when we, and so they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what happened? We were doing so well. I mean, we had seen such miracles. Why couldn't we get the results this time? And Jesus, in his kindness and in his truthfulness, Jesus didn't, first of all, you know what they should have done? They should have asked Jesus quietly when nobody is around. Because Jesus is going to tell you the truth. And Jesus says, I can see Jesus. He didn't give them a long story. I mean, Jesus didn't say, well, you know, guys, I really should not have put you in that kind of position. Because I know you weren't ready for that. It is my fault to allow you to be in that situation where you couldn't handle it and get embarrassed. I I shouldn't have done that. No, Jesus didn't say that. They said, Lord, Jesus, why couldn't we get the results? Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Straightforward. Because of their unbelief. Well, where did this unbelief come from? Now, if you go and you check the account in Mark, and I encourage you to do that, you will see what happened is, when they prayed for that boy, the demon began to tear the boy apart. The boy began to have an epilepsy fit. The boy began to screech, ah, some weird songs. And that, that boy began to froth, you know, you, know, you know what it is? Froth at his mouth and stuff. And when the disciples saw, when they saw those manifestations, they began to doubt. They began to wonder. They began to get into unbelief. I mean, they try to cast the devil out. Now the boy looks like he's dead. Oh boy, I guess I killed him. But that happened when Jesus did too, but Jesus wasn't moved by it. What is the point? They had, and Jesus answered their question. If you look at it carefully in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, when they said, Jesus, why couldn't we get this job done? Jesus says, because of your unbelief. And then he says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, if you have faith like a mustard seed, not only would you gotten this deliverance for this boy, but what, nothing would be impossible to you. In other words, it was not a problem with you not having enough faith. The problem is you allow that unbelief to corrupt your faith. What is my point? My point of the matter is, is this. You must maintain your faith to be pure, which means you've got to keep those, 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 those pollutants out. You've got to, when it comes to the doubt, you've got to doubt your doubt. Just plain doubt your doubt and refuse to doubt. When it comes to the unbelief, you have got to feed, feed your faith on the word of God and starve the unbelief. You may even have to, as Jesus says, this kind does not go out, but by fasting and prayer, you may need to fast at times, habitually, so that you could become more sensitive to the unseen realm, so that you could become more sensitive to the things of the spirit, so that you receive fasting, what fasting does for you, it can bring you to the place where you are more conscious about what the word of God says 
and what is settled in heaven than what it looks like and what it feels like and the symptoms. Are you with me? So that you can kill off, you can shut the door to the unbelief by starving it. And becoming more sensitive in your spirit through fasting and prayer and feeding on the word. And then you can, you can cut off the doubt by refusing to doubt. And as for the fear, the scripture says in Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 14, that when you become established in righteousness, you will be far from oppression because you shall not fear. In other words, when you become established in righteousness, then fear will not have access to your life. And I teach them that every Tuesday night. Zoom Bible study. Right? Right? That's a good plug. (laughs) No, seriously. Becoming established in righteousness. There's piles of messages. Just go to my YouTube channel. You're going to find all kinds of stuff on, on that. On how to become established in righteousness. And what righteousness is. But as you become established in righteousness, you'll be far from oppression because you shall not fear. It also says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 and 18, verse 18 says that the love of God, when the love of God becomes perfected in you, that love of God will drive out fear. It will flush it out. So you must know and believe the love that God has for you. And as that love becomes perfected in your life, and as you, become, as you begin to trust God, trust his goodness, know how much he loves you, know that there is, when you begin to become rooted and grounded in that love, then the fear will disappear. That's a good poem. Fear will disappear. I like that. Write that down. Here's the point. Imagine this here. This here is, um, imagine you had a blue liquid at the bottom here. All right? Love of God perfected will flush fear out. If you had a blue liquid here and you keep pour, and you put this underneath a tap and you keep pouring water in, you keep pouring water in, pouring water in, after a while, that blue liquid here will disappear. Would it not? Why? Because the fresh, clean water will flush it out. Well, that's what happens with the love of God. When you know and you believe the love of God and you feed on the love of God and the love of God becomes more real and you become established in it, that love will flush the fear out. So you can shut the door to fear. You just got to know how. You, uh, and as I said, establishing righteousness, establishing the love of God. You can drive and shut the door to unbelief by feeding on the word of God and, and developing a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. You can shut the door to doubt by refusing to doubt. And when doubt shows up, it will show up. Just doubt your doubt. When the doubt comes and says, well, I don't think that's working. Right? I don't think this is going to work. Turn around and say, I doubt you. I doubt that. Just doubt your doubt. It's easy. Doubt your doubt. Amen. All right. So we have one, you have enough faith. Two, you've got a God kind of faith. Three, keep your faith pure. Now, actually... There's another element to this that I need to inject regarding this keeping your faith pure. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it's this. Let let me just add this here. Yes, you have enough faith. However, here's one thing you need to get a hold of. I'm going to call this blessing blockers. Blessing blockers. Now, imagine you have a hose. And there's water that comes through the hose, the power's on, and everything else. It has the capacity for water to come through. But inside the hose, you have some stuff blocking it up. Would it affect how much water comes out? Yes, the water might trickle. And if it's totally blocked out, nothing might come up. Well, here is how faith works. 
Remember, God has all the provisions. It's already done. It's already finished. The grace of God provides everything. It's done. But then here is how it works. Faith will access what's done. Let's call it faith will access the grace. So we are saved by grace through faith. Romans chapter 4 verse 16 says, It is a faith that it might be by grace. So the promise is available to anyone. So what happened is, the grace of God is here. The grace of God is what's going to actually move the mountain. The grace of God is what's going to drive that disease out of your body. The grace of God is what's going to cause somebody to, to give it to your bosom. That will cause that death cancellation. That will cause that promotion. That will cause... It is the grace of God that is actually going to get the job done. And that is because of some connections with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of grace. But anyway, the grace of God is what gets the job done. But your faith connects to the grace of God. Are you with me? But when your faith connects to the grace of God, that grace needs to flow through the pipe, through the hose. And if that hose is blocked up, you might only get a trickle. And then things take a lot longer than they should. Or they might not even happen at all. And then before it happens, you might quit and give up anyway. Are you with me? So, there are things that will block the flow of that grace, the flow of that life, the flow of that healing power, or whatever the case might be. And so, we need to be aware of those, and then we need to knock them out. What are some of those things? The scripture says in Hebrews 12 verse 15, where it says, Let any, lest any root of bitterness springing up defile you and and, and, and clog up the grace and hinder the grace. So bitterness in your heart can affect you. Resentment in your heart can affect you. Having unforgiveness in your heart can affect you. Having pride can affect you because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The person that think, oh man, I got it all together. Who needs God? You know what I mean? I can do this on my own. I'm a self-made man. That kind of arrogance, that kind of pride, God said, uh-uh, uh-uh. That smells. Ooh. Have you ever had something that stinks? Do you get something that stinks and put it up in your nose? No. So the scripture says it's in the Bible. I didn't, I didn't write it. Psalms 138. God knows the proud afar off. He keeps it out of his face, out of his nostrils. And it says in James chapter 4 verse 6, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. To resist, in other words, God fighting against the proud. Man, you're not going to win. So what am I saying? So that pride will clog it up. That arrogance will clog it up. That attitude, that, that, that resentment, that bitterness, that unforgiveness, etc., etc. But on the other hand, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. On the other hand, having a pure conscience. You see, when you do things and you know, you know what you, you, know what you did. You know that attitude you have. <laughs> All right? Envy, they says, will cause rottenness in your bones. So what has to happen? What has to happen is you have to learn to maintain a pure heart. You got to learn to quickly forgive. You got to learn not to hang on to that resentment and that bitterness and that envy. I mean, don't envy anybody. Look to God. I don't care what, I mean, Lord bless them. But that blessing with which they're blessed, I could get it from you. You you know, you got to, Keep those things out of your heart. Keep the pipe clean. Now, the scripture says that that, that the secret of faith, 
First Thessalonians, sorry, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 9. The secret of faith, the mystery of faith lies in what? A pure conscience. That means you got to keep your conscience pure. It also says, um, it also says, it speaks about a person who did not keep their conscience pure and their faith suffered shipwreck. First Timothy 1 verse 19. Paul says, I exercise myself. I practice keeping our conscience pure before man and God. In other words, if I've got an issue and, it's, and, 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 and my conscience is tormenting me, accusing me or whatever it is, I wouldn't go to sleep with it. I'll deal with it. Now, sometimes... Sometimes, sometimes what's bothering your conscience might not be any of those envy and strife and da 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 da. It might be something else. Maybe you just plain lied about a situation, <laughs> or you or you sinned, or you did something you shouldn't have done. Now, if you did something that you shouldn't have done, now I'm, I'm telling you scripturally. Scripturally, God has already forgiven you before you even ask about it. He's forgiven all your trespasses, past, present, and future. All of it is forgiven. So God is not to have a problem with you. However, that sin messes up your conscience. That sin opens up the door and then the devil tries to attack you. So what should you do? 1 John 1, 9 says, If you confess your sin, God is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? It means that when I miss it, when I make a mistake, when I stumble, when I sin, when I violate, and we all do, don't go, don't, don't, don't stay there. And have your conscience accusing you and condemning you. What do you do? Confess it so that the blood of Jesus can wash you and cleanse you. And that that door can be shut and the devil don't get in to try to take advantage of you. Now what you also have to become skilled at is you need to understand this. Now let me say this very carefully. In Romans chapter 8 verse 35, 36, 37, 38, 39. It will tell you that all these things happen. But then it will say in 38 and 39 that nothing, 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 say nothing, nothing, can separate you from the love of God. Even your sin and your wickedness will not, is, doesn't, cannot separate you from love, the love of God. Why? Because Jesus has paid for it. It cannot separate you from the love of God. So when you mess up, it is not for you to become sin conscious. It's not for you to get some sense of condemnation. Oh man, now I'm in trouble. God is going to punish me because I did this. No, that's condemnation. And that condemnation will mess you up. It will give the devil access. No. So what you need to be able to do is when you have messed up, to be able to repent, receive forgiveness, and you can do that without getting into condemnation and without becoming sin conscious and without feeling any sense of separation from God. Now that's it's a little bit tricky, but you got to learn how to do it. Because the reality is, you're going to mess up somewhere. And then what happens when you mess up? You're just going to fall underneath the weight of condemnation. And as a result, let your faith become short-circuited and crash? No. Don't do that. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. Sometimes deal with it in whatever manner is necessary. The scripture says in 1 John 3, 19, Assure your heart. Bring your heart into that place of the assurance of where your conscience are free. And you're not operating in guilt and shame and insecurity and condemnation. That is the reason why you need to chop off the voice from your past. I don't care if you were a pimp or whatever you were. Pimp, why pimp? (laughs) If you were a pimp, this might apply to you. (laughs) But whatever it is, 
It is important for you to be able to recognize all things have passed away. And those, that's not who I am. And don't let what you did in the past create condemnation, guilt, shame, and those things on your life. Because if you allow them to, it will pollute your faith. It will short-circuit your faith. It will, it will block the flow of the grace. Are you with me? All right. Enough said about that. So the point of the matter is, that was number three. You got to keep your faith uncontaminated, and you also need to keep your heart and your conscience pure. Faith works by love. Amen? That was number three. I just stretched number three. I, I kind of went around the barn a little bit. But anyway, number one, you have enough faith. Number two, you have the God kind of faith. Number three, you need to keep your faith pure, keep the contaminants out, and keep the blocking the blessing blockers out. Keep the channel, keep your heart nice and pure and clean. Amen? Okay, A and B. Number three, A and B. All right. A is what? A is what? A is keep your faith, keep your heart pure. No, keep your faith pure, uncontaminated. Number three, B, keep the blessing blockers out. All right? All right, glory to God. Key number four, glory. Hallelujah. Okay, key number four. You must operate your faith from the place of righteousness. Oh, this is so important. And this is where a lot of people miss it. And I, I don't want to be unkind, but I got to tell you the truth. This is where a lot of well-meaning Christians miss it. Where they don't operate from the place of righteousness, they operate like a beggar, and they operate with a religious mindset that does not work. And it doesn't work because it's unscriptural. The scripture says the righteousness which is of faith speaks. The righteousness of faith, the right conduct of faith speaks. It doesn't say Jesus, come up. Jesus, come down. God, can you move this mountain for me? Oh God, can you do this? Can you do that? No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? It says the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. You speak to the mountain. Don't ask God to do something that he's told you to do. Don't ask God to speak to the mountain. Jesus says, you speak to the mountain. You speak to the mulberry tree. You speak to that cancer. You speak to that headache. You speak to it. But you do it from the place of righteousness, which means what? Number one, you do it left from a place where it's as if you're one with God. It's as if you're talking on God's behalf. So you do it from the place of oneness with God. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Jesus says, Father, the glory you have given me, I've given them that they might be one. You do it from that place of oneness. Jesus, it says again, 1 John 4, 17, as Jesus is, so are you in this world. I got to move a little faster now. So you speak from that place of righteousness. You speak from that place where you are one with God. Number two, you speak with the authority of God. Why? You are seated in the place of ascension. You were raised up together with Christ. You're not sitting, you're not functioning from where you are in that chair or in that bed or in that sofa or anywhere here in the earth. You are raised up and you are made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ at the Father's right hand. And let me tell you where that is. That is far above principalities, powers, might, dominion, every name, any sickness, any disease is a name, any devil ever deemed. All of it is underneath your feet. You are above only and not beneath. So you are speaking to those situations and circumstances 
as if you are their Lord. You are speaking to them from above, not from beneath or not even from the same level. You don't deal with no devil eye to eye. You look down on him. Are you with me? You shall tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. God shall bruise the enemy underneath your feet shortly. That's the mindset you've got to have to function from this place of righteousness. Where you're functioning in the authority. When the scripture says, when Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name. What is he talking about? In that name is the same authority. In other words, he says, you take my name and you talk like me. You talk like if you were me. And the devil will obey you. Situations will obey you. But you got to talk that way. So you got to have, you got to have function from that oneness, function from that, with that authority. And you got to have the confidence that the promise that you are standing on belongs to you. You are a child of God. You are a son of God. You are a joint heir with Christ. Whatever belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Simply ask yourself, Find a scripture, find a promise, and then ask, ask yourself, if Jesus is standing on this promise and believing God for it to be fulfilled, asking God, God, I need you to fulfill this promise, would God tell him no? Would God tell him no? Well, you need to, 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 to operate to know that the promises are yes and amen. You have got to come to the place and the confidence that if God says yes to Jesus, he says yes to me. Because I'm not asking him in my name. I'm not functioning in my name. I'm functioning in the name of Jesus. Which means what? In the person of Christ. I'm functioning based on what he has finished. I'm functioning based on his integrity. I'm functioning for given the present day office that he has. And you know where he is right now? He is a high priest. Are you with me? And that is what it means to function in the name of Jesus. And that is what it means that you are a son of God. You are a joint heir with Christ. And all of the promises are yes and amen in him. What am I talking about? Functioning from righteousness. Functioning from that place. And now again, here's something else about righteousness. Because of the blood of Jesus, you're forgiven. And in God's sight, it's as if you never did anything wrong. But if you never did anything wrong in your life in the sight of God, where is the shame? Then there is no shame. There is no condemnation. There is no guilt. There is no insecurity because God is backing you up. And there is no sense of inferiority. I am not who I used to be. I've got the nature of God on the inside of me. It doesn't get any better than that. So, in summary, you must function from this place of righteousness. And to function from this place of righteousness, you must A, operate in oneness that you are with Christ. B, you need to know your authority, that you've got the same authority as the name of Jesus, the same authority as God. C, you need to, you need to also, um, this functioning from righteousness means you've got to be confident that these promises are yes and amen, and these rights belong to you. As a Canadian citizen, you have certain rights. You need to know what your rights are as a son of God. And then number four, you gotta, you're in right standing. Meaning, you're free from shame, condemnation, insecurity, and all of that stuff. And that was key number four. Amen? Say, I'm the righteousness of God. I function from righteousness. I function from, from above only and never beneath. You see, when you're going to function from above only and never beneath, it means you've got a superiority mindset. Say, i got a superiority mindset. I'm not saying you're superior to people, 
But man, you're superior to whatever you face. Say, I'm bigger than the devil. <laughs> Amen? Say, I'm bigger than any challenge. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Is that scripture? All right. <laughs> Number five. You got to talk like God. Now, let me put this more accurately. You got to talk in the same tense as God. Now, again, this is where Christian miss it. People will say things like, I know God is going to heal me. God is going to heal me. I'm dealing with this situation. This is what the MRI shows. This is what the x-ray shows. This is what the doctor's report says. And I'm trusting God. God is going to heal me. Now, that sounds very good. But I'm sorry, my dear. There is not one ounce of faith in that. And that faith is not going to access that grace. Because did God say he's going to heal you? What did he say? It says, by his stripes you were healed. So you have got to look at that sickness. And you've got to call your sick. You've got to call yourself healed. What am I talking about? Let's go very quickly. Romans chapter 4 verse 17 is what I'm talking about. It says God, this is how God operates. This is how the faith of God operates. God called those things that be not as though they were. What does that mean? God called what does not exist in the natural as if it existed in the natural because God is calling it according as it exists in the spirit. In other words, God looks up here in the spirit and he sees it is done. He sees it is finished. He sees Jesus already bore that sickness, carried that disease. He sees that financial need met. And so he sees that and he calls it that way here. Now you might say God is lying. Well, from a natural standpoint, it might, it might, up, it might look that way. But God is a spirit. And God is speaking according to the spirit. Faith. Is according to the spirit, not according to what it looks like. We walk by faith and not by sight. So you have got to talk like God. You have got to look at the situation, see what the word of God says, and say what the word of God says. It says we have the same spirit of faith according as it is written. That's how I believe and that's how I speak. So I might be dealing with an infirmity in my body. That's a natural fact. I am not going to be in denial. To deny it is foolishness. That's not faith. Denial is foolishness, not faith. But I'm going to recognize this is what I'm dealing with, but I got to fix this, buddy. And I'm not going to fix it by looking at it and talking about how bad it is and it's going to get worse before it gets better. Look how bent up it is. No, I'm going to look at my crooked arm and I'm going to call it straight. I'm going to look at the situation. I'm going to look at that sickness. And I'm going to say, if Jesus bore my sickness, he carried my infirmities. And by his stripes, I were healed. And if I were healed, I am healed. I call myself healed. Jesus, thank you, Lord. You are my healer. Thank you, Lord. Your healing power is flowing in my arm. Thank you, Lord, that I am healed. Thank you, Jesus. You took that sickness. You carried that disease. And in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I am healed. Cancer, get out of my body. You, 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 you are unlawful. You are trespassing. Get out of my body. I curse you just like that victory. And I command you, die and get out of my body in Jesus' name. Jesus, I want to thank you for your divine healing power flowing in my body. Jesus, I want to thank you that by your stripes I'm healed. That's how you do it. But how am I talking? I'm talking the way God talks. 
The scripture says, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18, we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Faith call those things that be not the way they are in the realm of the spirit. And God, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 28, takes the things that are not to change the things that are not. Take the things here that looks like nothing and change what's down here that is indeed something. That's how it works. You say there's foolishness. Yes, it's foolishness from a natural standpoint. But God chooses the foolishness to confound the wise. The preaching of the cross, this kind of stuff, to them which are not saved, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, to them that are not saved, it is foolishness. But to us who are saved, it is the power of God. This is how it works. What am I talking about? I'm talking about how to make your faith work like God work, like God's faith work. So that is number five, which is what? Which is the fact that, which is the fact that, um, oh my goodness. Which is the fact that you are, you are to talk and speak in the same tense as God. Don't put it off into the future. The scripture says, now faith is. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of, da, 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 da. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is. Can I say it this way? Now faith is. I'm going to put it this way. Watch out. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Now faith is. If faith is not now, it's not faith. The moment you move faith out to now, it's no longer faith. Are you with me? That's why I say you got to talk in the same tense as God. I wish I had more time to spend on that, but I don't. And then finally, number six, you got to function with the spirit of faith. There's a mindset, there's an attitude you got to have. And it's not a beggarly attitude. It is an attitude where you are, where you are where, where you, of, of authority. After all, look where I'm speaking from, the place of ascension. You got, it's an attitude of aggression. The kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. It is an attitude where I'm not going to put up with this nonsense anymore. I'm done with this. Well, you got to have that kind of attitude. You got to have that aggression. And you got to be tenacious. You got to be persevering. Sometimes it looks like it's, like it's delayed. I don't care. I'm not going to move. There was a woman that came to the unjust judge in Matthew in Luke chapter 18. And, it, and the judge was a guy, he never used to, he didn't care about nobody. And he didn't give anybody any justice. He didn't care about God, he didn't care about people. The only person he cared about was himself. And that lady came, that widow lady came and said, you know what, I need some justice. And that lady had an attitude. That lady said, you know what, you are going to give me justice. And I'm not, I'm going to be right here. I'm not moving until you give me justice. You come to work tomorrow morning, I'll be here. <laughs> right? I'm here anytime. I'll be there waiting in the parking lot. I'll be there waiting in the front step in the office. I'll be, I'll be in your face until I get what I came for. And somehow, she didn't actually have to do that, but she had an attitude that reflected that. And he recognized, oh man, I better give this lady some justice or she is going to wear me out. <laughs> Amen. But what are we talking about? We're talking about a spirit of faith. That spirit of faith is tenacious, it's aggressive, it's persevering, it does not take no for answer, and it's got no shame. No shame whatsoever. I don't care what I look like. I mean, there was, Elijah was crying out to God that it wouldn't rain. The scripture says, um, in, in, um, where is it? I think it's in um, 1 Kings chapter 18. 
And, and Elijah put his head between his knees and he began to cry out to God. No shame. You see, sometimes, I mean, sometimes we got to become so earnest, so diligent that I don't care. I mean, I might be screaming and shouting and spit is flying, looking bad. Who cares? I mean, this is, this is an assignment here. I'm sweating, sweat coming out, looking bad. So what? My hair is all messed up. So what? But what are they going to think about me? You mean, you, I mean, making yourself a fool. So what? You, in other words, I'm just trying to point out the spirit of faith. No shame. Aggressive. Tenacious. Not concerned about what people think. But that is what it takes. Amen? That is what it takes. Hallelujah. There are so many scriptural examples, but for the sake of time, we're going to end there. So, in conclusion, Jesus said, you got to have the God kind of faith. You got to have faith in God. You got to have the God kind of faith. And in Mark 11, 22 and 23, he says, this is how the God kind of faith operates. You say to this mountain, be removed, be cast in the sea. Don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say shall come to pass, and you're going to have whatever you say. So, there are six, and he says, you're going to have whatever you say. In other words, your faith is going to work like God. So, number one, what's, this, what's number one? You have enough faith. Number two, you have the same kind of faith that God has. Number three, you got to keep your faith and your heart pure. Number four, you got to function in righteousness from righteousness. That one is with God. And then number five, you got to talk in the same tense as God. And then number six, you got to function with a spirit of faith. Amen? That's what it is. Now you take those things, you practice them, you become good at whatever you practice. You become, and apply it. Apply it in whatever, every area. Now in a moment I'm going to pray for you. There are those right now online, I don't know, you may have a situation in your body and I'm going to come in agreement for God to heal you. You may have a situation in your finances and whatever God brings up in my spirit and I'm going to pray with you. But I just feel that before I do that, I have a, a, my leading is that, that I'm, what I'm going to do is that I'm going to give you an opportunity to give, right? Now, and, and I'm giving you the, from, from my heart, I'm going to share with you a verse of scripture and I'm going to give you an opportunity for you to give and for you to sow into this preaching of this gospel. And then after that, then we're going to go pray for whatever your needs are. Because when we get to pray, I want it to be able to, I, 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 I want to have a freedom and I don't want it to be limited and I don't want you to be rushed. Amen? So just this is, this is in terms of your giving, um, give for the right reason. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, to let everyone give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you might have all sufficiency. He says, God, he says, give as you purpose in your heart. And it says, not grudgingly, but not grudgingly, not out of pressure, but from your heart. Here is it, here is the point. If you are receiving the word, not just today, but from this ministry, then the fact that you are receiving, that provokes within you a grateful heart. And that grateful heart expresses itself 
in wanting to give to support the preaching of this word. The scripture speaks in Psalms where it says you know, about meditating in the word of God. And then it goes on to say that blessed are they that do it. It is not just believing, but faith involves believing, but it also involves action. So your giving today is an action that you are taking, but you're taking it because you said, you know what? I'm grateful for this word. I'm grateful for what I'm learning. And therefore, I'm, I'm choosing to give and express my heart by giving. But the second reason that I believe you ought to give is because of that same giving nature. God so loved the world that he gave his beloved son so that you could have eternal life. That eternal life that you have wants to give. It wants to give, and then when you are giving to this ministry, what you're actually doing is this. We have been given an assignment to take what you've heard today and the entire message of the revelation of righteousness and the sacrifice to the uttermost parts of the earth. And in order to do that, that's where you come in. Your giving enables us to take these truths and expand it and cover the earth, no matter what part of this planet people are living on. In today's technology with the internet, we can take this all over the earth. And when you're, you're giving, is also you saying, you know what? I want to give what I'm getting through this ministry to others to the utmost parts of the earth. Amen? I hope that makes sense to you. <laughs> all right? But I just want to encourage you. Give, but give for the right reason. Now, for those that are here, if you need an envelope, um, um, you, you can be served. Also, too, for those online, the, the, the directions as to how to you can give, the various ways of giving are on your screen. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. What's that? I don't know what you say. Oh, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. So anyone here needs an envelope, by all means, uh, just raise your hands and you'll be served. Now, I'm just going to give you a few moments to give. And, I, I, and then we're going to pray. So get your heart ready. Now, if it seems like I'm speaking in a strange language, it's because I'm speaking in tongues. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Father, I pray for everyone in the financial arena that you will cause all grace to abound towards them so that they will have enough to be able to abound to every good work. I pray concerning their financial needs, Lord. You are their shepherd. They're not supposed to want. Give them favor with, with yourself, but give them favor with men. Give them supernatural divine favor so that, so that because you do work through men, that they would have promotion, that they would have supernatural increase. Rebuke the devourer for their sake. In the name of Jesus. I speak over their finances peace. I speak over the lack into their lives. And I command it to go in the name of Jesus. And I pray, O oh Lord God, that you would open up and give, give unto them the treasures of darkness. The hidden riches of secret places. Let finances and resources come into their life from places that they didn't even expect in the name of Jesus. Do something, show them, Lord God, demonstrate to them how real you are and how involved you are in the financial affairs of their life as they give you opportunity. Father, I thank you that you have given unto them a spirit of generosity 
And you've also given to them a spirit of grace that they're able to receive. And now, Lord, I pray for anyone. I'm praying for those online first and then afterwards for anyone that is here in the area of healing. But to just for a moment, stop and identify what is that particular area where you, want, where you need healing. It might be just in your knees. It might be a more serious situation. You got a bad report from the doctor. You've, have, you've been dealing with some particular illness and it seems like it's been forever. It's been going on for so long. Well, I'm believing God that it comes to an end today in the name of Jesus. There were times Jesus came to someone the guy that was lame, the person that was blind, and Jesus would ask them, what would you have me to do? Did he not know? Wasn't it obvious that they were blind? He needed them to identify what it is so that, they can, so that their faith can have a focus, so that they can know what it is they need to believe they receive. So let us take a moment right now and just identify whatever is the need that you have. And then I want you to know that the word of God says that Jesus bore that sickness and carried that disease and that by his stripes you were healed. So we are not here to ask God to do what he's already done. But we are here to tap in with our faith to what God has already finished and to let the grace and the anointing and the power and the river of healing virtue flow into your life and into your body and destroy whatever sickness it is. We've got a promise. God says, I heal your diseases and I heal your wounds. It might be woundedness in the realm of the soul. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've been, you've been dealing with some deep emotional hurt, some woundedness. But I'm believing God that even right now that I'm speaking, I'm sending forth that word. I'm releasing that anointing. I'm releasing that river to flow into your life, to heal that wound. Heal that wound in the name of Jesus. Release that unforgiveness. Release that bitterness. Release, release that person that did you wrong. Release them. Just let them open the cage door. Let them fly out like a bird. Release them in the name of Jesus. Now, Father, I pray for each and every single one right now. In the name of Jesus. And as I stretch forth my hand, wherever you are, stretch forth your hand just as a sign of faith. Just as a way of saying, Lord, I am reaching out to you. Just to say that I am receiving. You see, this stretching forth of your hand in a symbolic way, what it is, is God's grace. God's hand has whatever provision you need. And so grace is God reaching forth his hands with that provision. And, and, and it, that provision that is in, is in his hands. Your faith is you reaching forth your empty hands with your empty hands to take from God what it is you desire. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, as I stretch forth my hand on, on your behalf, and as they stretch forth their hand to receive, in the authority of the name of Jesus, and by the power of resurrection, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the authority of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, I curse every sickness and every disease and I command it to loosen those bodies, get out to those temples in the name of Jesus. I speak particularly to cancer and cancer, I curse you at the roots and I command you to shrivel up, to die, to disintegrate and to come out of their bodies in the name of Jesus. 
I speak to that bone condition that you be healed in the name of Jesus. That, 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 that lack of production of the right kind of cells, red cells, blood cells, whatever kind, in the name of Jesus, I command your bones, I command the marrow to produce the right amount of, and the right amount and measures of blood cells, whatever kind of blood cells in the name of Jesus, I speak to every blood condition that is, that has been against you, and in the name of Jesus, I rebuke it in Jesus' name, you one that have been dealing with this, this constant tiredness, this constant tiredness, and the doctors don't know what it is, and where it's coming from, but I speak to that condition right now, and in the name of Jesus, you don't have to know where it's coming from, you don't have to know what it's called, but whatever it is, it has a name, and the name of Jesus is above that name, and so I command whatever is causing that tiredness, that perpetual weariness, I command it to go from you in the name of Jesus. I command it to bow to the name of Jesus, and I command divine healing power and strength to flow into your body in the name of Jesus. I declare that the Lord is the strength of your life in Jesus' name. I speak to that heart condition, that heart palpitation that has been out of rhythm in the name of Jesus. You function the way you are supposed to in Jesus' name. I command those sugar levels to be normal in the name of Jesus. I rebuke diabetes in the name of Jesus and I speak healing, I speak Wholeness in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that has been happening in those limbs, whether it be broken or whatever the case might be, brittle bones, whatever it is, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I send the word of God into your bones and I command it to be healed in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus. I had a situation many years ago when God supernaturally caused bone, where there was a gap in the bone because it was broken and shattered and it caused the bone to grow back. I don't know what miracle you need in your bones, but it is the same God that performs miracles. It's the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead. So I speak a miracle for your bones in Jesus' name. Receive it in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, cataracts in the eyes be removed in Jesus' name. Now, I may not have called whatever condition you are dealing with, but in the name of the Lord Jesus, the word of God says that out of our belly flows river, and there is a river, and that river has healing. And wherever there is sickness, wherever there is disease, wherever that river flows, healing shows up. So I just release the power of God, the anointing of God, the divine river of healing virtue that flows from Christ to flow right now to you, wherever you are, wherever in your body is needed, whether it be in your immune system, be made strong, any system in your body, be whole in the name of Jesus. Organs, be well in the name of Jesus. Cells, be healed, be normal in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, we just give you thanks. We thank you, Lord, because the Holy Ghost, he performs miracles. And he doesn't do it by the works of the law, but he does it by the hearing of faith. And we release our faith today, right now, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we believe we'll receive what it is we desire. We believe we'll receive what it is we desire. 
We believe, we receive, we take it what we desire in Jesus' name. And Father, we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. I know the word of God does not return void. I know that some of you out there, you have already got your healing manifested. And if it's not manifested as yet, keep the light switch on. When the electricity come on, you're going to know. Keep believing God. Stay in faith. Sometimes healing is miraculous, but sometimes it happens in phases. God says lay hands on the sick and they will recover. God sent his word to heal them. And that healing process has already begun. But I'm asking you, connect with us. And especially if you've had that healing fully manifested, let us know just so that we can rejoice with you. Just to confirm what God is doing. God is good. And herein is the Father glorified. Oh, Father, we give you praise. Let's just thank the Lord for his goodness. Thank God for his divine healing power. Just say thank you, Lord. Say thank you, Jesus. Say thank you, Lord. Lord, we give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know if there's anyone listening to me that you've never made Jesus the Savior, the Lord of your life. And a lot of this may or may not be making sense, but I'm going to say this to you right now. The kingdom of God is like this arena, and you enter in through the door. And when you get into that door, then you can see what's inside. But the only way you can enter that door, Jesus said, is by being born again. And the way you get born again is you simply believe. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, and that he was raised up from the dead. And then what do you do? You, you make him Savior and Lord of your life. How do you do that? You simply say, Jesus I believe you've been raised up from the dead and I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord and Savior. Pray this with me right now if that's you and you want to make Jesus the Savior and Lord of your life. Just say this with me and everyone, just say it with me as well. Say, Jesus, say, Jesus, I believe you've been raised up from the dead. I believe you died for me and you shed your blood for me. I'm asking you, Jesus, to save me. Come into my life. Be my Savior. I receive you as my Lord. I surrender my life to you. I want to live for you. I want to know you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. Everyone, stay strong, stay blessed. Until we meet again.